WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg along with science advisor Matt Moniz. The silent assassin Matt Costa is out tearing across the country. Uh, I believe he's in Indiana, I think is the last I heard. As he makes his jaunt back from the left coast. So uh, maybe next week, uh, if he's not back, I don't know if he will be or not, but if he's not back, maybe next week we'll, we'll try connecting with him while he's out there on the road. Because okay. we, we ran out of time tonight because it took so long to get everything set up here in the Spooky Studio. Our apologies out there to the audience. Uh, this is Spooky South Coast where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And this week we have a very interesting show for you heading into the Easter holiday we talk a lot about different religions here on the show and their paranormal beliefs, but we have to profess a lot of ignorance from time to time because we don't really know a lot about some of these religions. And tonight we're going to talk about one that we don't know, or at least I don't know that much about, the Mormon faith with our guest Daniel Johnson, who's going to tell us a little bit about Mormon beliefs and also Mormon beliefs in the paranormal, which is going to be a, a whole new avenue for us to, to examine the idea of ghosts and UFOs, Bigfoot. All the things that we talk about here mm-hmm. on the program every week in a different fashion. So sorry that it did take us so long to get on the air. We were having some trouble with setting up Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. We try to make sure that we have that uh, as best we can for the audience so that you can watch the show as you're listening to the show. It's on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and that's where you can see the video and join into the chat room. And we try to make sure that we have... The audio coming from WBSM as well right there so that it's a one-stop shop. And we've been getting a lot of complaints over the last few weeks about severe buzzing. And I went out and I bought a very high-end cable to try to eliminate that problem. And it turns out it's not the cable. It's probably that headphone box. So just don't yeah. don't breathe on it. Don't look at it. And uh, hopefully we can make it through. And then uh, I'll get a headphone extender and we'll come out of here from now on. So hopefully that will solve that problem. But uh, we will be talking in just a few minutes with our guest, Daniel Johnson. But uh, I was thinking before that, we could just kick around a few other topics uh, before we head into the first break of the show. One, of course, is Legend Trip's upcoming event, April 21st, Slater Mill, Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill at the Slater Mill Museum in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. We had two huge announcements this week regarding the Slater Mill event, which, by the way, is getting close to sold out. So if you were thinking about buying tickets, you know, I wouldn't wait any longer. But uh, two huge announcements, one of which is that 30-odd minutes, the television show hosted by Jeff Belandrin, which our own Matt Moniz is one of the oddballs, uh, will be recording a live show at the event, which will air as a future episode of 30-odd minutes, which means that if you're there and you're in the audience, you have a chance to participate. There's going to be a panel discussion with some of the guests that we have uh, attending the event, Keith and Carl Johnson are going to be there, Andrew Lake, who is also an oddball, of course, Uh, myself, Moniz, Jeff, and uh, now... We have another special guest to announce. Amy Bruni from Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunter show will be in attendance. So it's that's that's a and you, know, you just, never who know who will walk in the door. That's true. Too. We have a lot of friends uh, in the paranormal world, and a lot of them live in Rhode Island. So hey, 
we're only a few minutes away. You might as well stop in, get a free piece of pizza or something. But uh, I, I do believe Amy's going to have her new Amy Bruni T-shirts there as well, which are really cool, really cool design. So if you're an Amy Bruni fan, you want to purchase a ticket to Legend Trips Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill event. We also have now set things up so that people can purchase readings uh, at the event from spirit medium Tiffany Rice or psychic medium Pam Padalano. So you have your opportunity to, uh, with either Pam or Tiffany, you have your choice when you purchase the readings. Now you get a 20-minute reading for uh, $30. Well, well, I wouldn't touch that box. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so you'll get your chance to have a reading with them, very uh, private, one-on-one, and the readings will occur during the lecture. What's going on? Hey, I don't know what's going on. I've been wondering the same thing. This is AM 1420 WBSM. Forgot to take it off auto. No, I did, which is why I don't understand why it went on its own. But uh, I, I was getting warned by people as of late that Mercury is in retrograde. I don't know if it still is. but It should be ending, if I recall correctly. Well, it had to lay a little something on us before that. Yeah. So I've been getting warnings from everybody about having problems in the studio, but so far we were doing well until tonight. So getting back to the Legend Trips event, it's, uh, it's $99 for a ticket. And then once you buy a ticket, if you want to have those readings during the dinner and lecture portion of the evening, you can purchase those for an additional $30. And uh, you'll also get your choice of which medium or, let's be spirit medium Tiffany or psychic medium Pam, who you want to have the reading from. And we're going to space them out uh, by time schedule. So the earliest people to sign up will get the earliest time slots and you won't miss any of the rest of the event. So try to buy your ticket now and then buy your reading early. That's the way to do it. So I'm very excited for this event. We're only a few weeks away. Next week, we're going to be talking all about Slater Mill with our guests, Riley and Stephen Black of Black Cross Paranormal. They've investigated Slater Mill. They have some very interesting EVPs, which we're going to play on the show, which is why I'm hoping Matt Costa will be back in time, because you know me with the, I'm barely surviving this, let alone playing a bunch of EVPs. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about Slater Mill and its history. So there might be some other guests joining us uh, as well. And somebody else is going to be joining us next week. Uh, we were supposed to call him and get him on the phone tonight, but I don't know if we're going to run out of time. We're going to be joined next week by Jason of South Coast Coney's in Middleborough, mm-hmm. which is the best hot dog place around. And he makes this thing called the death sauce. It's his own recipe, and he puts it on his death dogs, and supposedly it's like the hottest thing going. So we're actually going to have the death sauce challenge next Saturday night right here on Spooky South Coast. Matt Moniz and myself and, and Matt Costa, if he's back, we will all be trying the death sauce. I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> Here's the thing. You know, it, it's okay if, if it's too hot and it, and it lays us out. I'm fine with that. But what if that happens and we still have to do the show <laughs> on top of that? So that's my main concern is I'm worried about, you know, being able to talk on the radio while still downing massive amounts of water and chewing on white bread. Well, yeah, you want milk. You don't yeah. want water. Well, the, I drink water anyway during the show. Okay. Uh, milk will clog up my vocal cords and sound very flummy. And I'll be, anyway, so uh, we're also going to open the doors here. We're going to bring a bunch of plastic spoons. And any listeners out there who want to take the death sauce challenge can come down and try it out. And I think what we're going to do is, uh, you know, we'll offer some kind of a prize. But uh, it'll be you'll be able to test test out the death sauce for yourself and see if you can handle it. And I, I think our audience is pretty brave. I mean, we have a lot of paranormal investigators in this audience who run out and run into haunted houses and you know haunted buildings, and you know, we have people who are not afraid of anything. But We'll see how they respond to the death sauce challenge next Saturday night. 
Uh, it's going to hurt. It will. It will. And you know what? It's not, it's not next Saturday night that's going to hurt. It's next Sunday morning. That's when it's really going to hurt. I didn't specify when. All right. So why don't we take a break? And during that break, we'll get our guest for tonight, Daniel Johnson, on the phone. We'll be talking about Mormon beliefs and especially Mormon beliefs in the paranormal. You can call in any time during the program with questions, 508 996-0500-1877-996-1420. You can also email the question SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com and you can jump into the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and ask your questions in there as well. Moniz is in the chat room. I'm in the chat room. Uh, we've got all the Spooky South Coast family in there, our Cyber Spooky Crew. There's a good catchy yeah. title for them, the Cyber Spooky Crew and uh, or the Spooky Cyber Crew. We'll work on that. We'll see. We'll see what they want on the T-shirts, but uh, we'll we'll take your questions in there as well. So, lots of ways to get a hold of us. Lots of ways to interact with the program. And remember, you can always download past episodes on our website. Watch video from past episodes on our website. It's all there. We make it easy for you. We want to be your one-stop shop for all things paranormal. So, stay tuned. We will be right back in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, sorry, the science advisor, Matt Moniz. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to stop doing that. But yeah, it's all right. When yeah. Costa gets back. All right, uh, but uh, we are talking about the paranormal as we do each and every Saturday night. And uh, again, SpookySouthCoast.com is our website. You can find the phone numbers to call in. You can find the video. You can find the chat room while the show is live. Everything that you need. And we heard the commercial during the break there for the psychic night that WBSM is having at the Seaport. And we also want to remind people that in addition to April 21st being our Legend Trips event in Pawtucket, that is from 6 to 2 a.m. Before that, during the day, you can go to the South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair, which is happening at the Seaport and in a Marina here in Fairhaven. I believe it starts at 9 a.m. Yes. Or, or 11 a.m. Like and it goes until um, 7 p.m. So it's going to be a, a whole day of paranormal fun. And we'll, we'll talk about the uh, psychic South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair a little bit more next week here on the show as well. But tonight we're going to talk with our guest, Daniel Johnson, born in Pensacola, Florida. He's had a lifelong interest in strange and paranormal subjects. As a child of the 70s, he was raised on In Search Of, Chariots of the Gods, Bigfoot, Poltergeist, and other similar topics, and was always fascinated by ancient American mysteries such as Peru's, Nazca Lines, Mexico's, I'm not going to say that, Lost Maya Cities and Easter Island Stoneheads. A member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for most of his life, he served as a missionary for two years in Argentina. He now lives in California with his family and works as a digital artist and teaches computer graphics at Bay Area Colleges. He's also held various positions in the LDS or Mormon faith. He holds the office of elder in the priesthood and is currently the Sunday School President and Gospel Doctrine Teacher for his congregation. He's a contributor to the Book of Mormon Archaeological Forum uh, having taught and given many presentations on religious topics and how in ancient American history may relate to Mormon scripture. He's also the principal author of an LDS guide to Mesoamerica and the forthcoming LDS guide to the Yucatan due out this summer. So uh, we will talk with him tonight about all things Mormon. Uh, good evening, Dan, and welcome to the show. We're glad to have you on. Well, uh, thanks for having me on. That uh, <clears throat> sounds like quite a mouthful you just said there. <laughs> hey, it's your bio. You sent it to me. That's true. <laughs> I so, shouldn't complain. And, and we, you know, we started talking uh, originally. You sent us an email, and, and you had been listening to the show, and you noticed that we uh, kind of stick to a very limited religious viewpoint when we do decide to talk about religion and the paranormal. And I have to say that that is in no way any intention by us to, to discriminate or to uh, not include certain faiths. It's just that we don't really know any better. 
Well, I, I never really thought it was that limited, but um, I just thought, you know, it would be nice to uh, kind of take that viewpoint that you have and maybe, you know, add something to it and see what, um, what others could add to the discussion. I think that's always a good thing. Well, and we definitely agree with that. So, to me, I never really thought about, you know, the Mormon faith being any different than numerous other faiths that I don't know anything about, and that it's just uh, a matter of, uh, you know, just little changes in, in belief and philosophy. But for those who are unaware, can you kind of give us a brief overview of the Mormon faith? Well, uh, certainly. Um, we affirm that we are Christians, although there are some Christian denominations that don't accept that. But um, there are a lot of things that we um, believe that Christians would find, you know, very similar. We believe in Jesus Christ and salvation through His grace. Tomorrow's Easter, we believe in the resurrection of Christ. We believe in, in, in baptism, in the Bible, and in, in all the things that are there. But there are some things that, that make us uh, different. First of all, we don't consider ourselves part of either Orthodox or Protestant, that kind of family tree. We sort of view it uh, differently in that we aren't Orthodox, certainly, but we never formally protested against any, you know, existing religion. So what makes us unusual in this whole thing, uh, one of the things is that we believe that in the 1800s, a man named Joseph Smith was called as a prophet, and that he didn't establish a new church, but rather restored the ancient Church of Christ. And so one of the main things he did was translate an ancient book of Scripture called the Book of Mormon. And of course, that's why people call us Mormons. So there are other... Um, um, beliefs that we have which are kind of different. One thing is that we believe in an open canon. So in addition to the Bible, we have additional scriptures. We believe in prophets and revelation. And so a lot of things that I'm going to talk about tonight, they're not the result of tradition or, you know, centuries of evolving of thought. They're what we believe are the products of, of additional scripture. Well, in even in other religions, I mean, that's the way that it's it's kind of been over the years, is you have the the basic canon of, of what a religion will preach and teach. And then mm -hmm. there's also the other books that are considered non-canon, but uh, that they are still part of the faith. Right. Well, I was gonna the say. difference here is that for most, for most Christians, the canon is the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's mm -hmm. their scripture. For us, we believe that's, that's, that's our scripture as well. However, we believe that the Book of Mormon is scripture just like the Bible. We have other books of scripture that are, um, for example, more modern revelations that we believe are scripture just like the Bible. And so that's one thing that separates us from other Christian faiths right there. Well, but the other problem, too, is that, uh, you know, with a lot of these other religions, they don't delve into uh, a lot of those other texts. Whereas with the Mormon faith, I mean, I, I can imagine that that Book of Mormon is the primary tool that you're teaching in, in most of your classes. Um, not necessarily. I mean, it's actually, uh, as a gospel doctrine teacher, it's our topic this year, but last year uh, the topic that I taught was all the New Testament. So we kind of go from, you know, one to the other to the other. So we, we, try, and, we try and kind of put it all in there. Now, what is it that you have to fight against? Uh, what are some of the misconceptions that people have about Mormons that you feel are inaccurate? Uh, well, the obvious one is, is uh, polygamy and plural wives. Yeah, but that was so, the cool part about it. That was the cool. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I've got one wife, and more than that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how cool yeah. that would be. Yeah. Well, but I mean, so, it's hard enough to so, deal with one. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So um, I think there, there, there's there's that's a misconception um, that that's you know what we're still about. Um, 
and uh, I don't know, just there are people that seem to have lots of, of, of strange um, beliefs about, uh, about us. I think uh, I, I had a, a grand, my grandfather once told me that uh, Mormons um, would uh, throw, uh, sacrifice people off the, off the Salt Lake Temple and throw them into the Great Salt Lake. I was thinking, well, that'd be quite a throw because that's several miles away. So uh, that's, uh, I'd like to see that kind of throw. Yeah. But just, oh. you know, things, you know, funny things like that or just, just, uh, just plain just misunderstandings about what we're really about. And it doesn't help either that uh, you know some of the most visible faces for the for the Mormon uh, faith these days are, are you know people who are under scrutiny by a lot of people. I'm thinking of Mitt Romney, you know, who uh, the fact of if you're against Romney's politics, it makes it way too easy to also be against Romney's beliefs. Yeah, and I I would certainly hope that people wouldn't be that way. I mean, vote for Romney or not, based on his personality and his politics. Uh, I don't think religion should have any any part of our presidential process, and I think our founding fathers felt the same. And, and you know, and it's but that's right. That is the way that it should be. But that's not the case. You, you, you know, you have people out there who are saying today, "I don't want a Mormon in the White House." Just as in 1960, they were saying, "I don't want a Roman Catholic in the White House." With Kennedy, that's right. And Kennedy, for his few brief years, proved popular and did a couple of good things. Absolutely. Of course, later on, we're finding he did a couple of things that you know were <laughs> not so good. But uh, see, if he had been a uh, Mormon, it all would have been cool. He could have had right. multiple wives. I, I, I don't think he would have been having affairs with Marilyn Monroe, you know, things like that. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't mean to joke. I mean, to, to me, everybody's belief system deserves to be respected. Uh, one of the questions that's coming from the chat room, and, uh, oh, there goes our internet again. I think it just crapped out. So um, one of the questions that's uh, been happening uh, in the chat room a few times here is the, the idea of where the Book of Mormon actually came from and how it was discovered. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, that's a, a favorite topic of mine, um, and some of that ties into the, the, the research I've done and uh, the, the book I've written and other one I'm working on. Uh, it also delves a little bit into the topic of angels, which is one of the things I want to talk about tonight. Sure. So um, the whole idea is that um, our belief is that Joseph Smith was called as a prophet um, the same way the prophets in the Old Testament were actual prophets and spoke with God. And um, that's when he was um, uh, around um, uh, 17 or, or 18, that he was actually visited by um, what we would call an angel, uh, a messenger from God. And this angel is, is very specific to us. His name was Moroni. And so if, if anyone's ever seen the Mormon temples, a lot of them have a, like a gold statue on the very top with a guy um, kind of blowing a horn. That's actually a representation of the angel Moroni. So this, uh, this angel told uh, Joseph Smith that there was a record, an ancient record that was buried not far from where he lived, and there was a scripture from uh, people that, that would be given to him, and he would have the possibility to translate it uh, through the gift of God. Uh, Moroni was actually the last prophet to, to write in this book. And so um, it took Joseph a couple of years of kind of training with this angel and becoming ready before he could actually get it. But the idea is that... Is that is that the Book of Mormon was an ancient record from people and prophets who lived in on this land, in the Americas somewhere, uh, and that it was written on uh, plates, metal plates, that Joseph Smith described as having the appearance of gold. And so when the time was ready, he actually was able to go to the hill near his home, um, uh, dig it out of the kind of the box, the stone box it was kept in, and that he had it and translated it. And that's the origin of the Book of Mormon. 
and it was done, you know, over a very short period of time. It was published first in 1830, and then that's it. So that's that's the origin story. Well, and for people on the outside, I mean, mm-hmm. some of it is uh, is difficult to swallow. Absolutely, I understand that. Well, uh, and so, but that's that's kind of part of our, I mean, part of our religion is that you know we believe in what we call the ministration of angels. Mm-hmm. We believe that you know. That, that God can can do these these kinds of things, uh, if if He so chooses, and so that's you know that's our that's our story, and we're sticking to it. I guess uh, it is. It's a rather fantastic one, but I, I think it's a great one, and it means there's not a whole lot of middle ground with the Book of Mormon. Either it is you know what it claims to be, or it's you know a, a very unusual, strange fraud. But what's funny about that is there's numerous aspects of many other religions that we could say from the outside. Yeah, that doesn't really sound all that believable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, I mean, you know, t- tomorrow we're celebrating this, you know, this guy that was that was killed by the you know Romans as a as a uh, an enemy of the state, and he was buried, and yet people say he was resurrected, and he they witnessed to him, and he wasn't there. You know, I mean, for those who are Christians in here in, in this culture, that's you know makes sense, but for those in others, it might not. So it's all kind of your perspective, I think. The the strange thing too about people looking at these beliefs is that they're forgetting the fact that it is all about faith. I mean, whatever your particular religion is, you have faith in the doctrines of it. And I think that with Mormons, same thing. You know, you have to look at it not from whether or not you're believing it, but whether or not it creates that faith for the people that follow it. Exactly. For us, faith is a very important thing, and we believe that that faith needs needs to come first, that you have to have faith in things. And, and things shouldn't shouldn't be completely illogical and make no sense. We believe that, that they need to make some kind of eternal sense, but that you need to exercise faith first. And if you do that, then you can get, you know, come to a more sure knowledge. But that will never happen without having faith first, and that's that's a big leap for some people. And, and Joseph Smith, of course, was a very controversial subject to a lot of people at the time and even, mm-hmm. even in the years since. Yeah, I, very so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, the, you know, the the more we look at things in hindsight, you know, the more that it can look shady. I mean, so many of these religious leaders, uh, we kind of look at them as being in it for themselves to some degree. Uh, in, in the way I see it, is if somebody created something that gives people a direction in life and does such a good job, it doesn't really matter how it came about. That's one perspective. I mean, uh, Joseph uh, and his brother, who really was his, his kind of his closest, uh, um, were actually, you know, killed for their beliefs. He could have escaped, but yet he, you know, went back, and they were eventually, you know, murdered um, while they, you know, sat in a jail waiting for the government to decide what to do with them. So, uh, I mean, that right there suggests he, he believed what he was doing, I think. Mm-hmm. Now... With the current modern version of the church, we hear the term Latter Day Saints a lot. What does that mm-hmm. mean to somebody who who doesn't really understand the concept? Oh, certainly. Uh, I mean, we're commonly referred to as as Mormons, usually by people who are, are outside of us, mm-hmm. and uh, we prefer to call ourselves Latter Day Saints or LDS for short. And, and as you mentioned when when you introduced me, the name of the church officially, and this came from Joseph Smith, is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So for us, saints are us. They aren't people that are divine and we pray to. Um, in the New Testament, the followers of Christ were called saints. And so we believe that we are following that same tradition, but we are the saints of latter days, not the saints of the early days. And so 
that's really all it means to us. When I was a kid, I remember, and I'm sure that you saw them as well, uh, I remember the PSAs that the Latter-day Saints put out on w- growing up and watching them on like Channel 56 here in the Boston area. And uh, they, they were very... Uh, they were very good depictions of core values. I mean, when they talked about honesty, they talked about, you know, being nice to one another. They talked about not judging a book by its cover, those type of things. And I think that it was very influential in a lot of kids' lives, and they didn't even realize w- where it was coming from. You know, just at the very end of the commercial, you'd hear the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. And, exactly. But it wasn't about who it was that was putting it on. It was about the message. So it wasn't promoting the religion. It was promoting the value. Yeah, and I think that's very important. I think that, that all of us could, could live better than we are. All of us, whatever belief system we have, could be a bit more faithful to that and live its principles and you just try to be a more positive influence in our lives. We're, we're very big on, on service and in really trying to, you know, what we would consider follow a Christ-like discipline. It's mm-hmm. not always easy, um, but that's, you know, I think that everyone can do that and, and, and everyone can improve a bit. Now, where did the idea of polygamy come from? Where, where did that, um, that mark sort of come on, onto the faith? Uh, interesting question. That goes back to Joseph Smith as well. And it, we believe that these things you know, aren't really his ideas, but that they were re- revealed to, to him uh, by God. And so he, and I'm sure other people of a Judeo-Christian background could read things in, in the Old Testament and think, you know, wait a minute, what, what was Abraham doing with his handmaiden, you know, Hagar? What about uh, Jacob and, and his, you know, various wives? You know, of course, the sons were the, the 12 tribes of Israel. What about David and Solomon and all the wives they had? And that was a question that, that, that Joseph Smith had as he studied the scriptures, and so he asked about that. And, and for us, oftentimes, many times, revelation is a response to a question, meaning you don't get the answer until you're ready to ask. Mm-hmm. And so he... Um, asked uh, of God basically about that and was told that it was a true principle and that if God commands it, that it is okay and that it was going to be restored in the modern time for a purpose. And it was through him and, and um, lasted for a while. Um, and then we believe that you know, it was through the, the, the current prophet of the church at the time uh, that the, the command to live it was taken away, which you know, I'm, I'm glad for that. I'm glad that's over myself. But that's, that's kind of our understanding of it. You know, it's not the easiest thing to do, and for Mormons that were already kind of not ex- exactly popular and under a lot of scrutiny, it, it didn't help them with their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it seems like, uh, you know, people just tend to latch on to the more controversial aspects of things anyway. You know, it's... Yeah, it, they're, they're more exciting. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the sexy part of, of what you're talking about, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what people are looking for here. Now, Salt Lake City, of course, is, is kind of the I don't want to say the Mecca for Mormons, but it's kind of the, the uh, centralized location of the, uh, of the faith. And uh, there you, there, the Salt Lake Temple is there, right? And that's, that's one of the most iconic churches in the world. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I used to live uh, in Salt Lake, and I've been to the Salt Lake Temple. And I've been, of course, there's Temple Square, which is a whole visitor center around there. And uh, one thing to understand is, you know, why, why did the Mormons end up in Utah? I mean, Joseph Smith lived in New York. The reason they ended up there is that they kept gradually getting pushed farther and farther west, forced out of their communities because of mob violence. And they eventually left the United States and went to Utah, which was not, you know, an official state at the time, because they were trying to escape religious persecution and violence, and the United States government wouldn't protect them. That's why they ended up in Utah. 
And, of course, uh, whenever anybody talks about Salt Lake City in Utah in general, they mention the fact that those who are faithful to the to the LDS, they abstain from alcoholic beverages and, you know, even caffeine and, and tobacco, and tobacco. Mm-hmm. and coffee, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and is that something that is still pretty pretty much observed uh, throughout the faith these days, or is it something that's become oh, oh yeah. lax about oh, yeah. this? No, there, there's, there's, there's nothing lax about that. That was a revelation from Joseph Smith called the Word of Wisdom which didn't make a whole lot of sense at the time, you know, what's bad about, you know, tobacco and, and, and alcohol. Um, but it, we believe it's very important, and we believe that there are health benefits. We also believe there are spiritual benefits to it. That, um, and so it's, it's kind of like a, a, a personal, I guess, covenant or promise between ourselves and God. And for someone to be considered an, you know, an active and faithful Mormon, um, you know, he would need to, to live by that and, and, you know, not partake of those things you mentioned. Well, I'll say this: I, I, I've known one Mormon in my life. I've interacted with one Mormon that I know of. You know that I've that I've known their faith. I mean, I'm sure there's been many who just it didn't come up in conversation. But uh, and that'd be Danny Ainge because I cover the Celtics for the newspaper, and I, I can say, oh, yeah. that, you know, for somebody who is a, a big believer in the Mormon faiths and principles, uh, he certainly does swear a lot, <laughs> a lot, especially on the basketball court. I, I had a I had a friend in high school who liked to work on cars, and and uh, he told me that actually you couldn't really work on cars unless you swore. That that <laughs> yeah. was part of the process. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. <laughs> I, I, I try to abstain from that myself, but uh, you know it, it's you know there everyone has weaknesses. Well, in that case, I think that uh, you know Mormons make the perfect radio guests then, because unlike some of our other guests, I don't have to worry about any FCC fines when talking with you. Yeah, I don't think you'll have to bleep anything for tonight. <laughs> so, uh, and we're going to be talking coming up. Uh, we're just about up to the news break here. So we're going to take a, a break of about six or seven minutes. We'll keep you on the line. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about the Mormon faith. And I want to get into some of the, the paranormal aspects of it, uh, because this is where it, it gets really interesting to me, because I think that, you know, religion clouds the topic of the paranormal quite a bit, but I do believe that uh, you have some different approaches and techniques that we could talk about uh, in relation to you know, investigating the paranormal and, and looking at it in a Mormon point of view, because to me, it's it's almost like it doesn't matter what I believe as a paranormal investigator. It almost is more about what the spirit that has moved on believes. So we'll talk. Yeah, about it, it, interesting viewpoint there, and I, you know, I think we've got some very interesting things to share. And of course, if anybody out there wants to call in during the course of the the discussion tonight and either share their own thoughts or ask questions about the Mormon faith, you can do so at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. One eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. As I said, we are coming up on the news, and during that news break, that would be a great time for you to uh, check out our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can also visit LegendTrips.com. It's linked up right up there on the front page, and you can purchase tickets to Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill again. Live taping of 30-odd minutes will be happening there. Keith and Carl Johnson will be there. The Spooky Crew, Jeff Belanger, all the oddballs, and the new guests that we announced this week, Amy Bruni of the Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters, will be there. Dinner, lecture, 30-odd minutes, hours of paranormal investigation, a chance to actually investigate with all of us and and see different techniques and approaches and uh, incorporate some of these different belief systems that people will bring into it as well. Uh, There are always fascinating nights when we do these Legend Trips events, and there's always different perspectives and different point of views. So you'll get your chance to experience all that if you sign up for it. Tickets are $99. They are going fast, but they still are available at legendtrips.com and also linked up on the front page of spookysouthcoast.com as well. As I said, we're going to take a break for the news, and when we come 
come back on the other side, we'll talk more with our guest, Daniel Johnson. Uh, you can also check out on our uh, website, you can get the link to his book, An LDS Guide to Mesoamerica, and also he has the LDS Guide to the Yucatan coming out this summer as well. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Alright, welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. The silent assassin is still on his jaunt across the country. We wish him well. We hope he's listening. And if he is, hello. Hello, Matt and Amy. Hope things are going well. Hope you're safe. There was the uh, whole controversy last week of the supposed arrest that happened out in San Francisco. I don't know if you heard about that, Moniz. I know you don't have supposed access to Facebook. Arrest? Yes. Apparently, the two of them went to an anarchist book fair last Sunday. And uh, or Saturday. I have their cookbook. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Although <laughs> none of some of the recipes are a little outdated. Uh, the cookies are terrible. But um, <laughs> so apparently they went to this anarchist book fair, and Matt's girlfriend got arrested uh, for protesting them shutting down this anarchist book fair, and had to spend the night in jail. And then they held on to her for another twenty four hours because she was out of state, and Matt had to sleep in the truck, and you know all this kind of stuff. And and he was texting me about it and everything, and I I just I wasn't buying it. I've fallen victim to way too many Matt Costa April Fool's Day pranks over the years. Oh, this was on April Fool's. And so it, yeah. did, it did turn out to be a prank, but uh, I kind of smelled it a mile away because I've been so desensitized uh, or, or actually since heightened to dealing with Matt Costa April Fool's Day pranks. The best one of all time was when we were working together and the back door of the place where we worked just opened up and a gorilla came in with a banana cream pie. And I still don't know to this day if it was Matt or his cousin Nick in that gorilla suit, and neither one of them will admit that it ever happened. So mm. just goes to show you the strange sense of humor that is the silent assassin. You you people don't understand what he's really like. But uh, when he comes back, we'll find out all about the trip. So keep your eyes peeled for him out on the road uh, while he's out there. I Matt, lived next to him, or he lived next to me for, what, several months. And And you saw how strange he is. I, he makes me look normal. The nude sunbathing? Well, let's not get crazy, ponies. <laughs> uh, that that takes a lot to make you look normal. But uh, we are we are talking about the paranormal as we do each and every Saturday night. And our guest tonight is Daniel Johnson. We're talking about the Mormon faith, the Church of Latter-day Saints, and, and some of their uh, beliefs. And I, I was really fascinated when we were talking in the first hour, uh, Daniel, about some of the core beliefs of the LDS Church. But one of the things that I find especially uh what's the word i'm looking for uh you know something that should be respected and admired with the lds church is the the missionary service of of the male members of the church well uh, uh sure i, mean, I can it, uh, it, it, it's almost like is it is it mandatory um no i'm uh, am i still on okay here Go oh ahead. yeah sounds great Okay, I'm getting a little bit of, of uh, an echo on my end. Okay, I'll try turning things down a little bit. For but you. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear the uh, silent assassin is not really uh, in trouble and facing jail. I was I was worried there for a minute. Well, even if he was, he'd he'd find a way out of it. That's uh, true. Um, 
Well, uh, yeah, I was I was a missionary in Argentina uh, for for two years. It's not mandatory, and it's something that um, both the uh, young men and young women uh, can do. And in fact, older um, members of the church can do it as well. Sometimes retired couples, as, as uh, husband and wife, um, can go uh, on a mission and they'll serve and and do things like that. So it's uh, it's not mandatory. It's definitely encouraged, especially for, for the young men, and you can leave uh, and go out at the age of, of 19. Uh, and the, what's interesting is that you, you don't really know where you're going to be going. Uh, you go to your local leaders and say, I would like to be a missionary. You have some interviews. They make sure that you're ready and that you're worthy, and you kind of send in your papers to the, um, um, the headquarters of Salt Lake, and there's kind of a big thing in, in part of our culture is waiting for that letter to come to tell you where you're going to go. And, you know, oftentimes it's quite a surprise. Well, and, and when you went there, I'm, I'm assuming that that uh, had some sort of impact in, in the work that you did in the writing that you did later. Um, well, well, perhaps. Uh, I mean, there, there's no direct connection with, say, if you talk about my book in Argentina, no connection there at all. Because um, that's not Mesoamerica. No, but it, it gave you have, a different. It gave you a different world perspective beyond just what we know in our modern day society. I guess so, and it certainly helped me get uh, more fluent with Spanish, which is a big <laughs> that was probably help to yeah, traveling yeah. those areas. But yeah, I, I think it's a great thing because it, it's two years to try and you know do something new and experience other people in other places and be on your own, and it's it's a it's a time of service. I mean, it really only works if you are trying to serve people that you're there uh, that are there and you kind of forget about yourself well i think too that uh, anytime that you can experience another culture and and be able to place yourself in your own daily life in comparison to something else that somebody else in the world experiences especially those who need a missionary uh to come and visit them it, it does kind of change your thinking a little bit i i think so i mean it, it lets you know that there's a whole world out there Whenever I returned after two years in Argentina, uh, the problems that our country seemed to face were nothing in comparison. So it's good for that kind of perspective. But I, I love finding out about, uh, about other cultures, traveling among them, living among them, and just, just learning more things like that. I think that's really great. I mean, is it, is it kind of a, a negative, though, that like uh, these days probably most people look at Mormon beliefs and they look at a show like Big Love, you know, and that's kind of like where they're drawing their, their belief system from? <laughs> I, I would hope not. Uh, I mean, theoretically, Big Love is not really supposed to be about Mormons, but mm-hmm. about those kind of fringe groups that still practice that. Um, but I hope the whole point of, of missionaries is, I guess, to dispel the, the myths and really tell people, you know, what it's all about. I, I hear people a lot of times on the radio or other things say, you know, we just don't know what Mormons believe. It's all very strange. Well, you ever see those two guys walking around with white shirts and ties and name tags? Just ask them. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. It's not that not that mysterious. You know, and, and I think people don't understand either that uh, the only way to really find out more is not only to, to ask, but when you ask, be willing to listen. Yeah, and to ask uh, sincerely. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to ask and then accept the answers that people give you. Uh, I mean, I've shared things that I believe with people, and their kind of response is, no, you don't really believe that. Uh, I don't. Uh, I thought I did. So, yeah, I just, you know, accept people at face value for what they're worth. So now that we've kind of given people a background uh, about 
the Mormon faith and about the Church of Latter-day Saints. Let, let's get a little bit into the discussion about the paranormal beliefs of those who practice this faith. I mean, you were talking earlier about how angels are, are a very big part of uh, the Mormon faith. And to a, a lot of people outside of Christian faiths, you know, the idea of angels is almost a, a paranormal experience. Uh, true. And I would like to uh, correct one thing. Um, that it actually is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm sorry. And that's, that's an important thing to us, although that is kind of a mouthful. But, um, yeah, uh, the, the ministering of angels is a very important thing to us. We believe that it's real, and in our own history with Joseph Smith and others, that was kind of how it came about, according to how, to how we see it, how we believe. So we believe that that's true. We don't actually view it as being paranormal, and I don't actually like... Um, titles or, or, or categories like supernatural or paranormal, mm-hmm. because uh, for me, it, it's all normal. It's all natural. It just be stuff that we don't understand it, it, right now, but it's all, I think it's all normal, really. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to break it down into the etymology of the word, I mean, it just means that it's something that is goes along with what's normal, and it's just outside the realm of what's considered normal. So it's a, I know that it does carry that negative connotation, though, mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of people. And the experience, you know, the the ghost experience, for example, is something that some religions completely deny, and other religions are built completely around. I, I spent uh, a good hour plus on the phone the other day well, with the head of a local spiritualist church. Uh, here in Massachusetts, and it, the difference between how close-minded some religions are about ghosts and how much they welcome the idea and how, how everything that they do is based on the ability to communicate with those who have passed on, it's such a, a wide gap between the two that there, there's varying degrees in between. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I, I've seen that quite a bit, and so I'd just like to kind of share our point of view and see how that fits in. One thing I should say before I start is that I'm just, I'm just an average guy. So I don't officially represent the church or its teachings. I'm just an average guy sharing you what I'm about and, and why it's important to me. Mm-hmm. So that should be hopefully understood. And in the church also, we don't have a professionally trained or, or salaried clergy. So it's all people you know, like me who give of their time and serve in various capacities. It, but there is, um, uh, there, there probably is though some training involved to some degree to be able to spread the word. Yeah, like for example, when I was a missionary, missionaries go to a training center and uh, was one that that's in Utah, uh, and so we lived there for a while and kind of learn how it's, how, how to do it. You know, it's a couple of uh, couple of uh, months actually, and then out we go. And so for some. Local leadership positions are sort of like on-the-job training, if you will, as you go along. But there's nothing like getting a degree or going to a divinity school or a seminary or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's talk about ghosts a little bit. I mean, uh, one of the most famous ghost hunters in the world is probably also one of the most recognizable Mormons, and that would be Grant Wilson from TAPS. I was not aware of that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he is. He's a Mormon, and, and he's not... Uh, you know, he doesn't talk openly about it all the time, but it's it's known, it's out there. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so obviously, you know, he is a huge believer in ghosts. He's so is Sarah from 30-odd minutes. She also is Mormon? Yes. Why didn't he invite her to come in? Hey, there you go. <laughs> she could have came and guest hosted with us. Yeah. Uh, I did invite Grant, but I didn't hear back. So uh, he's uh, he's still in his downtime. But so 
what would what would the the doctrine be regarding the idea of of the existence of ghosts? Oh, certainly, this is what, exactly what I wanted to talk about. The first thing I'd like to do is I'd like to define some terms. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally don't like the term ghost because I think it has too many negative connotations, and so I'm going to use the word spirit. Okay. And a lot of things I'm going to take from the Bible, since we're kind of in a Judeo-Christian culture, even those who aren't overtly religious. So uh, for us, we like to use the, the term spirit. And there's also soul. What's a soul? What's a spirit? Sometimes they're used interchangeably. Now, if you look in Genesis, in the creation of man, um, whenever Adam is created, it says that uh, God puts into him the breath of life. And breath in Hebrew is ruach. And that can mean spirit or breath or wind. And so when the spirit went into the body, he became a nephesh in Hebrew, and that's living soul. So for us, the spirit is something that goes into the body, and the soul is the spirit and body combined. And of course, death is when the spirit leaves the body. Now for us, the spirit is eternal. The spirit, um, uh, for me, for you, for anyone, is eternal, and it has lived before uh, birth. So we refer to and we talk about a pre-mortal existence where we lived as spirit children of God, whom we call our Heavenly Father. And an interesting teaching of Joseph Smith is that spirit is actually matter. It's not immaterial, and so you don't have this kind of dichotomy between the physical world and the spirit world, that, or the spiritual, that uh, philosophers have been arguing over for a long time. According to Joseph Smith, spirit really is matter, but it's more refined and pure, and so it can't be detected by you know, means that we would know today. Okay. So this spirit is you. It's, it's your being. You have a spirit body. I have a spirit body. It's who you are from before um, your birth. You learn things. You experience things. You became who you are. And that part of you is eternal. And, of course, it keeps existing after death. And what you gain in this mortal life will go with you. You know, your experiences, how, you, how much you grow, that type of thing. So that, for us, is the spirit. Um, not something ghostly or, or ethereal or immaterial, but a real, a real thing, just of a matter so pure that we can't detect or don't understand it right now. Well, and, but if it is this type of matter, then that would mean that... Uh that we could detect it in some way once we're able to find that source of matter. I mean, uh, as a scientist, I can say matter exists in four states, Mm -hmm. liquid, solid, gaseous, and plasma. Mm -hmm. And all of these can be measured. So if you're saying it's matter, then we should be able to measure it then, shouldn't we? Theoretically, but I don't think we understand exactly... Well, it's, it's, I, I deal with it every day. Well, work. no, but I think he means theoretically in terms of applying it to this matter that, that Joseph Smith was talking about. Oh. Yeah, like, like, like for example, Not to speak for you. Um, we know, say, that subatomic particles exist. We know they're real. Are they particles? Are they waves? That's another question. But 100 years ago, 200 years ago, we couldn't detect them. You know, imagine like trying to look for an electron with a, a magnifying glass. It just doesn't work. So. I'm going to suggest, at least just from a matter of faith, that spirit's a kind of matter. Can we detect it? I don't know. Maybe the technology to do so doesn't exist yet. I don't know. That's just that's an interesting, different topic. Mm-hmm. 
So, but uh, being being a, a matter state then, and being kind of unable to to change, it does flow. It continues to flow, and we're kind of just along for the ride with it. Well, it's it, and there, there's some stuff that's kind of theoretical mm-hmm. that's, that we don't have definite answers on, and it's fun. It's fun to theorize about and discuss about. Um, but the main thing is that it is a a type of matter. I'm, I'm not sure it's a state of matter like solid, liquid, gas, plasma, but it, it's a it's a type of matter, and that's what animates and controls our physical bodies. We actually believe that before there was a physical creation, there was a spirit creation, and so, for example, animals would have spirits. Perhaps even plants and the whole world, you know, has a spirit. Incidentally, another teaching of Joseph Smith is that you can't create or destroy matter. You can only organize it and disorganize it. So we don't believe in a creatio ex nihilo, a creation out of nothing, which has been a mainstay of... of the latest news, weather, and sports. Sorry and stimulating talk. AM 1420, WBSM. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> and, and we're back. Yes. Uh, ever since I've taken over computer duties, last week I had like the best week ever. And now it seems like I've reverted back to my original state. <laughs> So what I was going to say, uh, you, you know, that for Joseph Smith to say that, I mean, he was he was pretty ahead of his time in those beliefs because, of course, Einstein told us the same thing later on. Yeah, I, I believe so, and I think that for a long time, Christianity or medieval Christianity was stuck in a very sort of earth-centric phase. You know, the earth is the highest point of God's creation; therefore, everything must go around it, and mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. That's it. Well, as you learn more about the universe, and you see, oh no, this Actually, the Earth goes around the sun, and a bunch of other things go around the sun. In fact, we're a tiny speck in this huge, immense galaxy and universe and beyond that. And even, you know, other planets like Earth, is there life on other planets? These seem to be a threat to traditional Christianity. And so it's been kind of like like a, a painful process of trying to, I guess, evolve the beliefs to fit in with where science takes us. And I think in many ways... Uh, Joseph Smith and the beliefs, that, uh, the doctrine that, that he shared, kind of what was above all that and foresaw all these things and fits in very well with science. I, I do think that uh, when, when you're talking about the idea of ghosts and spirits, uh, when you're talking about the idea of there being this uh, soul that does leave the body, you're also talking about something that is endless. I mean, it's it's. There's a beginning. There's no beginning. There's no end. It's something that just continues on and and carries through. How is it then that the spirits will carry uh, the imprint of who it was that we were? Is it that spirit energy that makes us who we are? That gives us our personality? That gives us our defining characteristics? Or is it just something that we imprint on it later on as it leaves us? Well, see, we refer to it as a spirit body, and as you said, it is eternal. That, that, that spirit is eternal, matter is eternal. Uh, so we view this pre-mortal existence where we lived with God before birth as like a childhood. Mm-hmm. We, we, we grew up, we learned, we experienced many things, and then at a certain point you've got to kind of cut the cord, leave the nest, and have your own experience. And that's why the wor- world was created. And so we, we kind of take with us what we were, but then there's what we refer to as a veil of forgetfulness. We don't remember anything that happened um, in that time, and we kind of start life with a fresh slate temporarily, and we have to work by faith. 
but our spirit grows and develops as we learn things and as we uh, perform activities, as we act upon things, and as we try and help people and just as we experience life. And so that's what we take with us. So when the body dies, the spirit continues, and it is so much more developed. It's still you, uh, but, but it's learned more and experienced more and has progressed farther along a scale because of mortality. But, but we, we've, we feel that it is your innate personality. That's something that's eternal. That's always with you. Well, one of the questions that I would have then is, how does the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, look at those who investigate the paranormal? Would that be something that would be condoned or condemned uh, you know, within, the, within the teachings of the Church? Uh, as far as investigating, uh, there's no official position at all that I know of. With a lot of things, we're kind of left to our own, uh, I guess, intelligences to, to figure it out. The one thing that probably would not be condoned would be trying to actively participate with the spirit world. Ouija boards, psychic mediums, other types of divination. I mean, biblically speaking, that's always been kind of a negative thing, and that type of thing would not really be, be condoned. But I find that different than kind of investigating to try and figure out what's going on. Why is this house haunted? What's really happening? You know, I, I think that's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, you know, denominations that we've discussed over the years, you know, they all have different takes, uh, and it, it changes almost from, you know, diocese to diocese in some cases. Uh, you look at the, the Catholic Church and... and AM 1420 on air. Okay. com online. Those are just going to keep going off all night. But uh, so, some of the, uh, you know, it's not a true spooky South well, Coast unless there's technical difficulties. Hey, Tim, can I interject sure, something absolutely. from uh, the chat room? Sure. Shirley wants to know, uh, isn't looking for ghosts actively participating? Um, I guess what I'm trying to say would be trying to communicate with the realm of spirits and trying to have it talk back to you. And so as... I go uh, through and describe a few more uh, bits about what we believe about that that might become a bit more uh, apparent. But, I mean, investigating and trying to figure out things that are going on, especially things that are mysterious or don't have a a ready explanation, I think that's always a a good pursuit. Well, uh, what what I was saying before was the... You know, we can't get enough of an agreement within, say, the Catholic Church uh, because some... You know, some priests you might talk to, and they don't have a problem with it. And others will say, "Oh no, to to do that is you know to to be fooled by the devil." So there's different beliefs, different factions almost within the Catholic Church. With with the LDS Church, is it more it would be a universal thing, or could there be differences from from one observing group to another? Not exactly. I mean, we tend to be pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is that if you go to church, say, in Utah or in California or in Germany or wherever, there should be the same thing, that the doctrine's the same, the teaching is the same, it's not really dependent upon who happens to be the local bishop. Sorry. Uh, so there's a good bit, a bit of consistency there. And so as far as paranormal investigating, there's no official stance at all that I, that I would be aware of. I think it's just kind of up to the individual. 
Now, what about other aspects of of what we call paranormal uh, beyond uh, just the idea of ghosts and hauntings? What, what about UFOs? I mean, this is something that uh, you know we see UFO imagery dating back to the Old Testament, and mm-hmm. you know, we hear these stories of lights in the sky and, and and wheels of fire in the sky, and and things like that. What what would the LDS Church say about the idea of life on other planets? That's a fascinating question, and I've heard you speak before. About the, there's a recent Vatican announcement accepting that possibility. Yes, and uh, that life on other planets, those people would be partakers under salvation from Christ. Sure, they well, just feel teaching, like they're no different than uh, people here on Earth. Exactly. Well, again, a teaching of Joseph Smith from the first half of the 19th century was that God's works were endless, and there were other worlds. He called them Earths that were created, and that they were um, inhabited by children of God. And that Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice could perhaps be really infinite and really universal and pertain to those people as well. So, so that's, that's a, a, a doctrine we've accepted for a long time. Well, with that, that ours was not the first habitable world created. Adam and Eve were not the first people anywhere, just the ones on this earth that pertain to us. But we accept it as as doctrine that there have been worlds without number and people without number on other worlds. So that's not a problem for us at all. It's also in the Bible, if I'm not mistaken, that God said to Moses, the, this is one of my many worlds and you are one of my many people. Um, I'm not aware of that phrase, but it certainly sounds right to me. Uh, I learned it in like a Sunday school, like in the early 70s, but it always stuck with me. And, yeah, uh, I, that makes a lot of sense to well, me. Well, those the early 1570s. We have the King yeah. James Version now. <laughs> so it might be a little different. Well, but the idea of, of you know, life on, Earth, life on other planets coming back to visit Earth, uh, you, you know, many religions that are out there, a lot of these key figures that are in their religious stories and their religious texts, some people would look back on and say they're they're UFOs. Is it is it possible that you know we've been visited by these people in the past and that they they're the ones that have been creating this uh, you know creating these religions that we have built around? We're building them around the teachings of the ancient aliens. Well, now you get into the ancient um, astronaut theory and things mm-hmm. like that. It, it drives uh, archaeologists completely crazy. But um, I would say certainly it's possible. Now, if we're talking about things from, say, a Judeo-Christian background or the Old Testament or things like that, uh, there's a teaching of Joseph Smith that any angel that would appear on this earth or minister to people is someone who belonged to this earth, not somewhere else. And so an interesting belief of ours is that angels are not a different type of being than mankind. Angels are actually our spirit brothers. They're the same thing as us. They're just farther along in their progress than we are. And so that if uh, an angel appears in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, say, you know, Gabriel appears to Mary to tell her the announcement of that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, that he would would have been a spirit that would have been a righteous man who lived on this earth at some earlier time. Well, the the thing that I always thought about the whole ancient astronaut theory is that in some faiths it does seem to play out and in some it, you know you scratch your head and you say yes that that does kind of make sense based on what they're telling us and we see the imagery pop up again and again we see these 
cave paintings. We see these stone sculptures that depict what looks like a spaceman in a spacesuit. And, and we see these common themes that run through it. Uh, but couldn't that just be a matter of uh, just kind of our own projection of what we might have thought at the time these religious figures were? I mean, couldn't if God came down and spoke to us, couldn't we have just as thought back then it could have been a creature from another planet just as much as we do now? Uh, possible. Now, when it comes to looking at uh, you know cave paintings or, or ancient carvings and things like that, it's very important to understand the culture they come from and, and their context. I've seen a lot of things that look really weird, and they go, yeah, that kind of looks like an astronaut or something, or, but why would it look like an astronaut that we understand today? Um, my main experience in research is like that has to do with the Mayan culture, and I know there's a lot of imagery there that is used by Eric von Däniken and others that follow that to, to kind of show ancient astronauts, but if you have a good understanding of what the Mayan culture was about and what they're trying to say... It means something completely different. Um, so before you look at, at weird ancient stuff and go, wow, that looks like a visitor from space, there's, there's a lot to go through to try and figure out what imagery meant what to those people that originally carved it. One of the other things that we talk about here a lot is, you know, some it might not be necessarily paranormal beliefs, but it's just some of the strange you know, supernatural beliefs. And again, I know they didn't want to really put tags on things. But uh, one of the things that we talk about quite frequently in the field, not so much on this show, is the idea of vampires. And vampire Uh culture is very hot right now. Of course, Stephanie Meyer, who wrote the Twilight books, might be one of the most famous Mormons out there right now. For for good or bad, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so how does that play into it? I mean, a lot of I mean, she's she's very very deep into her into her Mormon faith, and so how does the idea of her writing about vampires? I mean, how would that be viewed? I think not a problem. First thing I can I can tell you that there are no vampires in the Mormon faith. Let's get that right out of, in the open. We hope. Okay. Yeah. We <laughs> say that about every faith. <laughs> we hope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, officially, but uh, it all depends on the individual. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Anne Rice novels. I thought that her take on vampires was really cool and interesting. Uh, I'm also kind of a fan of, of horror movies. And I like the metaphors within them and kind of the overall themes. And, and that's just me. So do you like vampires? Do you like something else? I mean, there's nothing particularly uh, forbidden about that. And also the money that she probably was able to donate to the church as a result of it. Nobody's complaining, you know. When, yeah, I guess not, you know, but I mean, however you make your money, if it's if it's legal and ethical, that, that's okay. Uh, are there any things that would be considered off-limits within the LDS Church? Is there anything that they would say, uh, yeah, hold up? I mean, we talked about actively trying to communicate with spirits, but is there anything beyond that that, that would be, uh, you know, blasphemous within that church? There's nothing really we have that's blasphemous, but the main thing I would say is that use of, of Ouija boards or similar types of things to try and contact the dead, to try and summon the dead, witchcraft, black magic. Again, I'm not sure how real any of that stuff is, but just come from a practical point of view, that would be really looked down upon or, or, or not advised. And that would be because of what it could cause in a negative fashion, or is it because it's something that we're not meant to understand? Uh, I think mainly because perhaps you're dealing with forces you don't understand. 
there is a whole evil side to the whole spirit realm, which you know, I'd like to talk about as well. Sure. Um, and it, it's possible that, that you could make some contact there. Uh, again, I don't know how much that is literal or how much just people mess themselves up trying to do that on their own. I don't know, but it's, it's just, uh, I guess, huh, just something that we need to take on faith and there's some things you're not meant to know. It seems like that when someone passes beyond the veil of life and they're in death, you kind of take that on faith, and if there's supposed to be contact from those who have passed on with those who are still alive, and we believe that can happen, that's in our own stories, that it would happen, and you wouldn't need a Ouija board, you wouldn't need a Frank's box, you wouldn't need a medium, but that if some communication is supposed to happen from... Uh, an ancestor of yours from an angel, from a righteous spirit, if that fits in God's plan, then it would happen, and you wouldn't need any external helps to make it happen. But I think perhaps the going after it and trying to initiate it from this side, that seems to be where we would say that you shouldn't do. Uh, now, have you ever investigated for the paranormal? Have you ever actually you know, research anything or experienced anything, uh, what we would consider to be paranormal? Well, I, I haven't investigated. I, I find these topics really interesting, and I'd, I'd love to do it, but I tend to be just too busy, so I have to kind of do it, you know, from, uh, from my couch while I'm watching TV on it. I did have an experience as a child that I could share with you, if you'd like to hear that. Absolutely. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I was born in Pensacola, Florida, uh, and what we're always told was that was the first settlement in the United States. It was destroyed by a hurricane later on, so it's not the first permanent one, but there's a very ancient history there. It goes back to the Spanish, and there's a lot of pre-Civil War, antebellum stuff there as well. And Pensacola seems to have a lot of ghost stories, a lot of haunted houses and legends and things like that. It also is a major UFO haven. What was that? It's also a major UFO haven. Oh, yeah, there there was the guy that was taking all those pictures. Ed Walters. A while back. Ed Walters. Uh Uh-huh. I remember that. I wasn't there at the time, but I remember hearing those stories. Uh, But I do know there are a lot of of ghost stories around there. Of course, where you guys are, Massachusetts, and, I mean, I've done the ghost tours at Plymouth. There are lots of ghost stories around there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the uh, historical district in Pensacola, there were a lot of old mansions that had been turned into law offices. And my mother worked as a legal secretary for a law firm. She would often go and work late at night and take me with her as a child. So we're in this, what used to be an old mansion, two stories, one big kind of hallway or corridor down the middle, and the rooms have been turned into offices on either side. So uh, late at night, we're there with only ones. All the lights are off except the office where my mother is. And we hear the front door open and shut. And it was very distinct because it was an old building. It was an old door. It had glass panes around it. You could hear it rattle and vibrate the house. And my mother tells me, go and see who that is. So I wasn't a big fan of scary things and the dark places as a kid, but I went downstairs and turned on all the lights and looked, and and there was no one there. I went back and told her there was no one there. She continued working. I continued playing or doing whatever. And then later in in that night, we heard the same thing. The front door slam, and all the glass in the front rattled. And she said, go see who that is. So I went down again, turned on all the lights, went to the door. It was locked. I unlocked it, I looked out, and there was no one anywhere. 
So I shut the door, I locked it, I went back up and told her, and she said, well, I think maybe it's time for us to go home now. Uh, so the next day when she was, during, uh, during the day working, she asked some of the attorneys about that, and they had said some of them working late at night, they would hear things like that in that house. So that's my only experience with that type of thing. Not the most exciting thing. I've, I've uh, heard that you've had more exciting experiences, but that's my one little brush with it. But still, I mean, it's enough to, to plant the seeds in your mind. Yeah, I mean, what was that? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I kind of doubt that when people die, their spirits hang around and, and haunt a place uh, instead of going into what we'd call the spirit world. I think, Tim, I've heard you in the, in the show say that you're not sure that hauntings or ghosts are actually people who are deceased. But the truth is these things seem to happen, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. And I think trying to look into it and figure out what it might be is, is a fascinating um, process. I think my belief in what ghosts might be changes from day to day uh, based on uh, the data coming in and based on my own experiences. Uh, just when we hung up with our guest last week and, you know, we, we started talking about the Lizzie Borden hauntings, you know, uh, we had a long conversation about how I'm starting to wonder if there is anything there at all or if it's, you know, uh, something that we've created. If it's been, I mean, obviously I think it's very active and I think that there's definitely some sort of force there, but was it, is it, the Borden's spirits, or is it the fact that enough people have gone there, we've almost created a tulpa effect there? So to me, it's a constantly evolving belief. So what you might have heard me say in one show probably isn't what I might feel by the next one. Yeah, and that's that's good to be open and, and open to what the data might lead you. I think that that's great. Now, we have a question from the chat room here, uh, and I will ask this. And again, if you have any questions that you want to ask of our guest, Daniel Johnson, you can just give us a call, 508-996-0500, We're talking about the Mormon faith and their belief in the paranormal. Uh, this question comes from Kim Gifford. She said that you might have some insights about the Pentecostal experiences during the Kirkland Temple dedication back in the 1830s. Hundreds of people saw the light surrounding the building and saw angels. Their journal entries are all in agreement. So is this uh, something, the Kirkland Temple dedication, uh, is this something you're familiar with? I, I am, and that was a big thing in our history and in our faith. Uh, unlike other Christian religions that I'm aware of, we have what we consider temples that are holy places similar to, say, temples in the Old Testament. And these are different from our meeting houses or chapels where we, you know, where we would meet on Sundays and do other things. But temples are for very particular purposes. And the Kirtland Temple in Kirtland, Ohio, was the first temple dedicated in, in the latter days. And we believe that all types of divine power were restored in that place. And so when that happened, many people that were inside reported angelic choirs, you know, um, lights similar to what uh, the Pentecostal experience is in the New Testament. Supposedly, people who were neighbors, who weren't even Mormons, saw things like that from afar and heard things during that time of the dedication of the Kirtland Temple. So again, this goes back into the ministering of angels. We believe it is a real thing, and it's an important part of our faith. And I think, too, that uh, the more open a belief system can be, the more you can open yourself up to having these experiences. So just because these people might not have been of the Mormon faith, the fact that they weren't going to just turn a blind eye to what was happening, it allowed them to experience that for themselves. Could be. I think being open is always a good thing. 
when we talk about uh, the pursuit of the paranormal, when we talk about the idea of uh, investigating them, we all do kind of bring in our own baggage with us into an investigation. You know, I, I have investigated people who are of you know, very strict faith. For example, you know, Keith Johnson is, is a minister and he actually uh, performs services yeah. and uh, he is very adamant about his beliefs. And I've been able to investigate alongside of him being somebody that has no beliefs. I'm kind of a clean slate when it comes to that. Is it a matter of, in your opinion now, and I'm just asking you this as somebody who does have a very strong faith, in your opinion, do you feel like in this instance, we need to be on the same page, or do you think that the fact that there are more viewpoints present uh, might benefit the spirit activity? Uh, are you talking about for, for a successful investigation, or, or just just or in the, just just in the experiencing of it? You know, for example, uh, you know, if you if a whole bunch of people from the Mormon Church went to go visit a spiritualist church, for example, and and see how they do things, you know, would the clash in viewpoints have an have a, a, a negative effect on activity or would it help it happen what, what, what i'm saying here is you know do you feel like uh two different viewpoints can make for a better experience or, or a worse experience because it could go either way yeah i as, i'm not sure how to answer that question i think it possibly could be a good experience if you can compare and say oh my viewpoint suggests this is happening and my viewpoint suggests this is happening no one has a complete understanding of everything. And so it's always good to see someone else's viewpoint and say, oh, maybe there's something there that is something I hadn't considered, and it might help out in, in putting some pieces of the puzzle together. There wouldn't be a case of there being you know, pollution of one people's... Because this is something that was popping into my mind when I was talking with the woman from the Spiritualist Church, and I, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go check this out. And I talked to people from a whole bunch of different denominations for an Easter weekend story that I was writing. And I started to wonder, I was like, well, what would happen, for example, if this person came and experienced, you know, someone else's service? Because they're all so adamant in their beliefs, and they're also, I don't want to say, you know, they could kind of sense that I was a religious free agent because I don't have any faith, and I, I don't have any... I don't want to say I don't have faith, but I don't have a particular faith, and I don't have particular teachings. You don't have a structured faith. Exactly. I don't have any uh, real knowledge. So I would come at them and saying, hey, listen, you know, I just want you to know I don't know anything about religion. I, I'm very ignorant in those matters, so we're going to have to be very basic in our conversation about it. And I, I think they could almost sense, like, when I'm talking to them, that theirs is right, and that they're almost trying to uh, convert me at the same time while they're answering my questions about, hey, what do you do for Easter in your church? And not all of them, but some of them I felt were kind of, you know, trying to convince me that their way was the best way. So that's why I wonder if you start cross-pollinating some of these and having them uh, experience. Sorry, I'm going to go ahead. Well, uh, I got a question. Uh, now, this also comes from the chat room, but I, I, I've understood that there's a mix of this as well. They mixed in the Mormon faith, uh, some stuff dealing with uh, Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? Well, not exactly. Okay. What you're probably referring to would be the, the temple ceremonies. Yeah. Well, that, and so, uh, believe it or not, the undergarments that you are also famous for. <laughs> yes. The, the symbolism in them. Yes. Uh, there are some things there which, which might appear to be, to be similar. 
And we would suggest that is because they come from a similar origin. Now, the Masonic legend or or mythology is that they... they Bear in mind, I am a Mason, so... Okay, great. Okay. So a lot of stuff we could talk about. Okay. Um, But the the idea is is you're taking it back to, or at least the mythology, is it goes back to the Temple of Solomon. Correct. And and then you have the death of Hiram Abiff, who would not give up the Temple Secrets. Correct. And so our belief is that those... Perhaps those secrets that Hiram Abiff died to protect were restored through Joseph Smith. Um, but there are some similarities, uh, but there are also a lot of differences. So the similarities, I think, are, are skin deep. The, the purpose of the temple ordinances as compared to Masonic initiation, the actual purpose is very different, if, if that helps out. Any. Okay. Well, and no, I'm still want his answer on the under attire though. That that. Okay, well, what would you like to know about that? Uh, no, it's just he that, wants to know what you're wearing. It's really no, creepy. I feel no, 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 inappropriate <laughs> right now. No, it comes from uh, it, a lot of people want to know why there are the the symbols that there are on the uh, undergarments that are worn by by the really devout. I guess you would call them Mormon, and mm-hmm. and how that how that all came to be. Well, I can answer that to a degree. Okay. Again, we look at the this this uh, temple ceremony, which we call the endowment, as something that came from Joseph Smith. He was able to restore that before he, he, he was killed, and it has continued on. And that's one of the main purposes of temples. And uh, those who go to the temple and receive this endowment wear what we call our, our priesthood garments. And for many clergy, you know, they're, they're, they have symbols they wear, like the collar or certain ecclesiastical robes. For us, we don't wear that on the outside, we wear it on the inside. And so the um, priesthood garments, and men wear them and women wear them, uh, that have been to the temple and received this, this ordinance, for us it is a reminder of the covenants with God, and it's a reminder of the things learned in the temple, and a reminder, a constant reminder to live a good, clean life. And that's why they're with us all the time. So and that's that's really the purpose of them. Anytime we talk about undergarments and endowment, you know, that's when you know the show is getting a little yeah. glad, a little we're, weird. glad we're on after 10 p.m. No, territory. but it's a common question that people oh, ask I know, I'm about just it. kidding. Yeah. Well, I know. I, it's something a lot of people wonder about. I know. Yeah. Well, we are. And I, I'm happy to, to answer it. Okay. We're, we're coming up on the end of the show, so if anybody does have any questions that they want to ask before we part ways with our guest, Daniel Johnson, you can give us a call, 508 996 500 one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty for toll-free. Email spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. Or you can jump in the chat room if we had internet connection here. If anybody's listening and you want to make a donation, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com or uh, email the donation via PayPal to Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. Send us some money. We'll go out and buy some new Ethernet cables. And a new router. It's not the router that's the problem. It's the cable. It doesn't stay in. (laughs) So this is the problem that happens frequently here at WBSM because they don't know how to take care of their Ethernet cable for the guests. But uh, we are coming up on the end of the show, Daniel, and I, I want to give you the chance to talk a little bit about your books, uh, the LDS, An LDS Guide to Mesoamerica and the forthcoming LDS Guide to the Yucatan. Um, it, it sounds to me like uh, these are, are pretty interesting works, but that uh, they, they must have taken a massive amount of research as well. Well, it could be. I mean, I didn't necessarily come on to talk about them because they don't really have much to do with kind of paranormal topics. But it's a great love of mine. I've always had a great love of ancient cultures, especially in ancient American cultures. And our belief is that the Book of Mormon is 
uh, a document, a, a history of things that took place somewhere in the ancient Americas. And so there are LDS scholars and archaeologists who um, uh, study these things and travel to these places and, and try to find similarities. Uh, well, the book came about because some good friends, my two co-authors and I, um, went to these places. We went to Guatemala, we went to Mexico, we went to Honduras, and uh, traveled around and visited these sites. And I love the ancient Mayan ruins, I love the ancient Mayan culture. And the book is basically kind of, a, of an account of, of our our misadventures of getting from one place to another, and then the background and history of each site, and how some similarities there correspond to things you read in the Book of Mormon. Uh, and I've done a lot of research and found a lot of good stuff, and I just love to share about these places because I, I love going there, and I love the people there, I love the ancient culture there, and I think, you know, the similarities we come across are kind of interesting. And so um, there are lots of uh, LDS people to do tours and visit these places, and my friends and I thought someone should write a book that's like a guide for how to get there and where to go and what what you're looking at when you're there. And no one had ever done that, so we ended up doing it. And I know, as you said, you didn't come on and talk about those, but we like to give people the chance to promote what it is that they do as well. So you did us a favor and a service by coming on and talking about the Mormon faith and Mormon belief in the paranormal. So you know, we want to give you the opportunity to to plug your work as well. Well, thanks. And also, I put um, a post up on Facebook and, and linked uh, link to your site, and I'll do some more of that. Uh, you know, hopefully, send some people to you guys. Well, thank you, and ho- and I promise that uh, the next time we have you on, we will have much better uh, internet connection in here, and things won't be so messed up. This is this okay. has been a cha- well, challenging night on the technical side for us tonight. Oh, that's all right. And uh, you know, uh, as far as uh, next time, I'm not sure. You know. How serious you are, but I would love to because there are all kinds of topics that uh, we didn't even really get to tonight. Oh, absolutely. That, that, that deal with these types of things that um, you know are spooky South Coast types of topics. So I've got all sorts of other things that I could share with you. Well, just keep us up to date, and I think uh, at some point we should have a, a nice roundtable discussion too, where we have people of different faiths come on, and, and we can kind of just throw topics out there and, and debate them amongst ourselves. You know, like people that say that Smith's encounter was actually like an abduction, like what modern people report as an mm-hmm. abduction. We could I, I, I've heard that, that angle on it. Uh, obviously, that's not my take on it, but no. I think that sharing different views and comparing what you, believe, what you believe in a respectful way is a great thing to do. All right. Well, we are coming up on the end of the show, but we thank you, Daniel, for joining us, and, and we will have a next time with you. We will talk to you again. Thanks for asking, but I'd rather... Oh, sorry about that. See? <laughs> one, one more. more. <laughs> yep. There we go. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. I really appreciate this opportunity, and have a great evening, you guys. You as well. Bye-bye. Happy Easter, Bye. too. Thanks. You, too. All right. That is Daniel Johnson. Uh, his the, the Amazon page for his book is linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com if you're interested in checking it out. We are just about out of time for tonight. We will be back next week to talk with Riley and Stephen Black of Black Cross Paranormal about Slater Mill. Uh, that's where our Legend Trips event is taking place on April 21st. You can still buy tickets if you want to come and investigate Slater Mill with the Spooky Crew, Jeff Belanger, Keith and Carl Johnson, and uh, Amy Bruni from Ghost Hunters. I'm including Andy and the Spooky Crew with that. Okay. He's, he's, he's part of our family. Yeah. Even though you guys cross-pollinate with the oddballs, yeah. you were ours first. And uh, so you can check that out at legendtrips.com and also spookysouthcoast.com. Buy your tickets now. 
get your psychic readings at the event now. The the links are available. Uh, so all kinds of ways to take part in the fun on April 21st. We'll be back next week to talk about all that and more with Riley and Stephen Black and maybe a few other guests and also the Death Sauce Challenge. So make sure that you're ready to come down to the studio and try some of that death sauce. I'm already getting indigestion thinking about it. Uh, and so we'll, we'll do it here in the studio, and you can come down and try some as well. And uh, just stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com for more information. Until next week, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Here.